so much, well not particularly those verses although we will certainly mention those but I want us to take uh, for tonight one verse uh, that's there in Acts uh, chapter 22 and uh, Paul is speaking, he's talking about his uh, conversion experience and in chapter 2 when we get down to verse 8 he says uh, that uh, a voice from heaven said also why do you persecute me to which he replied who are you Lord I asked I am Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting he replied Jesus of Nazareth we look this morning at the first name in this short series uh, names given to the Lord Jesus Christ that are specifically to do with his incarnation to do with him taking on uh, a human nature in order to live in this world and uh, we looked at the title Emmanuel um, God with us and we really focused on the true truths his kingship uh, his, his status as God before he ever came into this world and his condescension uh, the degree to which he humbled himself in order uh, to identify with us um, and out of that surely what we, we focused was to, uh, that we worship him as God and that is wonderfully true and must be true and here tonight we see that we need to worship him not just as God but for becoming man as well Jesus of Nazareth I find it a very interesting title for the times it's used and the places it's used and the people using it uh, in Matthew 21:11, we find Jesus on what we now call Palm Sunday riding into Jerusalem and the crowds taking off their cloaks and laying them uh, on the path in front of him and it says that the whole of the city of Jerusalem uh, were, were stirred up by this event and they cried out who is this? to which the crowd replied this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth remember when he's being tried by Caiaphas and Peter is outside trying to remain with Jesus but as close as he can be without getting into trouble as it were and three times he's questioned as to the fact that he is one of Jesus' people and uh, the servant girl says to him or says to the crowd about him this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth you remember in Mark chapter 1 Mark recalls how Jesus is teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum and a demon possessed man is there and the demon within him causes him to cry out what do you want with us Jesus of Nazareth remember Bartimaeus that blind man there by the side of the road when this crowd is pressing around and Jesus is passing through and what do we read but when he heard that it was quotes Jesus of Nazareth who was passing by he cried out remember after his resurrection Jesus meets those two on the road to Emmaus and pretends to not know what they're upset about and what's happened and what is it they say to him you don't know about Jesus of Nazareth and when Peter stands up to address the crowd at Pentecost he says men of Israel listen to this Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God when he raised the lame man at the gate called Beautiful what is the power that Jesus that Peter claims to work in in order to perform that miracle he says it is done in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and here in this verse Paul recounting how he was saved how he was brought into a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ points back to that time on the Damascus road when Jesus speaks to him out of heaven and chooses to describe himself call himself by that title I am Jesus of Nazareth 
Friends, the crowds worshipped him as this. The demons feared him as this. Peter was challenged by this. The crippled cry out at this. His disciples mourned him as this. After his resurrection, they performed miracles in this name. They challenged the crowd in this name. They preached in this name. And finally, the risen, glorified Christ calls himself by this name. I am Jesus of Nazareth. So what's in a name? Can we see, first of all, the humanity of Jesus Christ? Again, we'll use alliteration tonight. I know it does help some just to remember and and focus thoughts. We'll look at his humanity and his humility. His humanity. We saw this morning he was 100% God. And we've got to grasp that, haven't we? How we dishonour Christ if we don't recognise the fact that he was 100% God and still is. From all eternity past to eternity future, he is God. And while at this time of the year we especially remember his incarnation, we must remember and we must worship him as God. He's not just a good man, he's not just a holy man, he's not just a sinless man. He is God in human form. But just as he is 100% God, so he is 100% man. And surely the name Jesus of Nazareth brings that home to us so powerfully, doesn't it? Peter Lewis in his book The Glory of Christ has uh, uh, some amazing passages. Let me just read one on the doctrine of the Incarnation. In this way, the second person of the Blessed Trinity truly and personally became, in quotes, a one-celled embryo in the body of a young Hebrew woman. But though he became what he was not, he did not cease to be what he was. He who continued to fill all things and to sustain all things also became contained in a virgin's womb and was sustained by a human mother, living simultaneously the massive life of Godhead and the creaturely and painful life of humanity. In the words of the 4th century theologian Athanasius, the word was not hedged in by his body, nor did his presence in the body prevent his being present elsewhere as well. At one and the same time, this is the wonder, as man he was living a human life, and as word he was sustaining the life of the universe, and as son he was in constant union with the Father. This concern is not to be misunderstood or misused John's became is reflected in Calvin's insistence that, quote, even if the word in his immeasurable essence united with the nature of man into one person, we do not imagine that he was confined therein. Here is something marvellous. The Son of God descended from heaven in such a way that without leaving heaven, he willed to be born in the virgin's womb, to go about the earth and to hang upon the cross. Yet he continuously filled the world even as he had done from the beginning. Isn't that amazing? That at one and the same time in his spirit as the the creator God and sustainer God he continues to rule the cosmos and at one and the same time in his human nature he walks around on this planet seeing people, meeting people, touching people dying for people. And I remember Peter Lewis making the point when I heard him preach and it was well made that he certainly had his father's heart but he might well have had his mother's eyes. 100% God and 100% man. What a mystery, what an incomprehensible marvel that the God of all glory sustaining the cosmos was also walking this planet. 
in appearance no different to you or I. In a crowd of a thousand, you couldn't have picked him out. You could have looked at him and he would have just been like any other man. So much so that even the closest to him, his own brothers and sisters, couldn't discern who he was. But he was 100% God and 100% man. And that truth is so powerfully expressed in this name, isn't it? Jesus of Nazareth. The crowds didn't cry out Jesus of heaven or Jesus from all eternity. The the charge brought against Peter wasn't that he he is with Jesus of glory. The charge was he is with Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, it says there in Matthew 26, 73, your accent gives you away. That's how we know you're with him. You've got the same accent as this man. They spoke the same language in Nazareth as they did in Jerusalem, but they had a different accent and they used the language differently. They treated it more roughly. And when they saw Peter and heard Peter speak, they said, he speaks the same as Jesus. Jesus was as much a Nazarene as any other man who, from that place. He was, in every sense, a typical person from that place, but sinless. Isn't that exactly what put Nathaniel against him before he ever met him? John 1, 45, 46. What do we read? Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Immediately had this prejudice against him because of Nazareth. And yet Jesus chose to come from there as a mark of his humanity. My friend, you begin to grasp the wonder of what is contained in those few simple words where John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, he pitched his tent among us or or, or he encamped with us. Literally, he moved into the neighbourhood. He became a neighbour to someone. He became a mate to lads and, and youngsters there. He became a pupil to a teacher. He became a human living in that insignificant town in the world's eyes in that insignificant land. My friend, you rejoice in the real Jesus Christ. We said this morning there are those who deny his deity and that's a, a terrible, horrific thing to do. That's blasphemy to deny the deity of Christ. But I know a number of people who deny his true humanity. Not with their words, they would never say that. And I know some very devout, godly people amongst them. And it's out of a desire to honour him that they do it. They just fear that somehow in portraying Jesus 100% human, to, to portray him as just another man in his appearance in every way, that somehow they're going to rob him of his glory. Can I encourage you not to do that? Can I encourage you to lose the sort of Hollywood Jesus? You know, the, the idea that he always had immaculate white ironed clothes to wear, you know, that looked like he just stepped off of the, out of the shop with his hair perfectly manicured and, uh, and absolutely faultless in his appearance, probably floating three or four inches off the ground. That isn't the Jesus of the Bible. 
And, and if that's the Jesus that we hold in our minds, we rob him of his glory, for his glory is not measured in how much aloof from us he remained, his glory is measured in how much he humbled himself and how real his humanity became in order that he could identify with us, isn't it? This is his glory, my friend. This is what he deserves our praise for, that he, he became as a servant to men. He knew what it was to have struggles with his parents. He was sinless. He never did wrong with his parents, but he knew what it was to have struggles with them. Luke 2:48. when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why are you treating us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? They did not understand what he was saying to them. He knew what it was to have his parents misunderstand him. He knew what it was as a child to grow in wisdom and understanding as Luke 2.40 tells us. He knew what it was as a child to be obedient to his parents. Luke 2.51 Parents who he made, parents who at that moment in his divine nature he's sustaining and holding and giving the life to, to exist, he's being obedient to as a child as he grows in wisdom and knowledge and understanding. He had half-brothers and sisters. Mark records the mask in Mary's son and his brothers James, Joseph, Judas and Simon. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. He grew up in a normal family relationship in a normal family environment. Sinlessly and perfectly. As a male child he went through circumcision as Luke 2.21 tells us. As he grew he worked first assisting his father and then as a carpenter. Mark 6.3 they said isn't this the carpenter? And they took offence at him for that because they knew who he was, they knew where he worked, they knew his background, his home life and they said how can this be someone special? I love carpentry, it's one of my greatest joys if I ever get time to uh, do recreation and and, and one of the most wonderful things about it is you can think as you're doing it Jesus did this Jesus knew what it was to take a piece of wood and to shape it and to give form to it and to make something out of it he was a real man in every way and as a man he went through the waters of baptism even when John would have prevented him from doing it, in order that he might fully identify with us, in order that he might earn for us a full righteousness that might be imputed to us, he went even through the waters of baptism of repentance. Because that's what we need to do. My friend, can I beg you to give up images of Jesus where you rob him of his full humanity that isn't glorifying him more by doing that it's glorifying him less glorify him as God 100% and glorify him as man 100% because that's what he went to to redeem you and I no let out no omissions no bounds set to it he experienced everything that you and I have to experience Perfectly, There is no temptation common to man except that which he 
himself endured. He knows what it is to be laughed at. He knows what it is to be rejected. He knows what it is to feel pain. He knows what it is to have to work. He knows what it is to have tensions in the home. He knows what it is to have neighbours living next to you. He knows all of this. He's been there and done it. And he ever lives to intercede for us. Do you begin to understand what that humanity meant to Jesus? We can read scripture so easily about him and, and just miss it, can't we? For example, Matthew 4, verse 2. Jesus has just been baptised and immediately the Spirit takes him out into the wilderness to be tested by Satan. And what do we read there? Matthew 4, verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And we can read that so easily, can't we? Have we got any idea what that means? Do you think Jesus' hunger after 40 days and 40 nights was any less than any man of the same fitness and age in the same place would have been? Of course it isn't. He was fully human. In other words, he was at the point of collapse, if not death. And he resisted Satan's temptation. When we read in Matthew 26, 27, 28, 37, 38, I'm not sure which it is, sorry. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. What do you think it means when he says, My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death? Do you think somehow he was excluded from feeling what you or I would have felt in that place? Do you think somehow his humanity didn't experience that depth of pain and anguish that you would have felt there? He felt what any sane person would have felt in that place knowing that they're about to be betrayed, mocked, a a crown of thorns is going to be forced on their head, they're going to be whipped, they're going to have to drag a cross through the city and then they're going to be crucified and while they hang there on that cross, God the Father is going to unleash his righteous anger on them. And his humanity, he felt that to the point where it says his sweat became as drops of blood. I find it interesting that Luke tells us that. Luke who's the doctor. Luke who's the one that has an interest in such things and recognises the, the, what it tells us about it. First of all that he sweated. That his humanity was such that he, he knew what it was to sweat. That sweat came in with a curse, didn't it? There was no sweat before the curse. That's part of what the curse brought on humanity and Jesus' humanity was so real that he experienced that. He knew what it was to sweat. But he knew what it was to sweat in such anguish that it would seem the blood from the the micropores in his vessels in his pores oozed out into the sweat and coloured it red as it came forth from his body. My friend, his humanity was so real that every stripe of that whip, every push on that crown, every beat on those nails, every breath on the cross cost him in pain exactly what it would have cost you or I hanging in that place. And when we read in John 19, 28, later knowing that all was now completed, 
and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. How do you read that? Wouldn't it be easy to sort of read it that Jesus is hanging there on the cross and he thinks, I've done it all, let me just check, I'll just go back through the Old Testament scriptures. Oh no, I'm supposed to say at this point, I'm thirsty. So the scriptures will be fulfilled, just for the record, I'm thirsty. Is that how you read it? I don't think so. One of the great effects of crucifixion was that it produced a raging thirst, an agonising thirst, as fever just spread through your body. And in anguish, Jesus cries out. He's not doing it to fulfil what was prophesied. The prophecy was there to prophesy what he was going to do. I thirst! Such is his humanity. And such he went through for you and I. My friend, if he's 100% God and he deserves our worship as God, equally well he deserves our worship for what he became. 100% man. He did that to redeem us for no other purpose. He did that to save us. He did that in order that we might come into a living relationship with him. He did that in order that we might spend eternity with him. My friends, are you worshipping him that he made himself man for you and I? And see, secondly, the humility of Jesus Christ. Doesn't that title speak of that? Jesus of Nazareth. What a humble title to take. Jesus from the village down the road. That's what it amounts to, isn't it? We've already mentioned his inconspicuous upbringing, his obedience to his earthly parents, his working in the workshop as a carpenter. But my friend, his humility went so much further, didn't it? The greatest example of all, of course, is his death on the cross. That Paul should write, he humbled himself unto death, even the death on a cross. But we'll save that for our fourth message, God willing. So just for tonight, can I just ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13? John chapter 13 I want to read from verse 3 John 13 verse 3 Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God so he got up from the mill took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean. Though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. 
do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I don't know how many times in my life I've read those verses. And it wasn't until I was reading them in this last week preparing for tonight that I was struck by something that, as best as I remember, has never really struck me before in those verses. And that is, who normally gets up not this but what comes out of this who normally gets up to wait on people after the meal servant the host someone who figures well if I don't do it no one else is going to bother to do it why did Jesus do it and the answer is in verse 3 and it's an amazing statement isn't it Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he did this. And when I read that, I just thought, wow. If that was true of me, that I knew the Father had put all things under my power, and that i come from God and I was going to God, I wonder what my next action would have been. I don't think it would have been to got down on my knees and wash the disciples' feet. And yet here we read that Jesus, knowing that he's got power and authority over everything, knowing that he's come from God, knowing that he's about to return to God, there's one thing he wants to do. And what does he do? He takes off his outer cloak, he ties a towel around his waist, he pours water into a bowl and I just wonder what went through the disciples' minds at this point. What's he doing? What's he taking his coat off for? Why has he put a towel around his waist? And then he gets down on his knees and starts washing their feet one by one until he comes to Peter and understandably Peter says, Lord, you're not going to do that, not for me. Jesus says yes I am Peter what humility and rightly we read those verses in the context which Jesus intends us to read them and say wow that's how we're supposed to serve one another and do we let's be honest many of us wouldn't be too pleased at just being asked to go and wash somebody's feet in some room where nobody's going to see it and nobody's going to reward us for it And the King of Kings got down on his knees and washed the feet of the people he'd made and the people he was sustaining and the people whose lives he was holding in his hand in eternity. Oh my friends, what humility. What amazing humility. And can you see that that one incident there is just a picture of the whole of the life of Jesus? 
right from when he was laid in that stone feeding trough till he was laid in that borrowed tomb. It was a life of humble service, a life of amazing humility, a life of total humanity as he went to the cross for you and I. Well did he say, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And even in that, he uses that title that he chose to use for himself so often, Son of Man, that speaks more about his humility and his humanity than it does his deity. Friend, I asked you earlier that you wouldn't deny the reality and the depth to which Jesus humbled himself in becoming man can I ask now, can I plead with you that you dwell on and think about the reality and the depth of his humanity and his humility in order that you might worship him for it, in order that you might magnify him for it, in order that you might sing his praise for it, in order that you might come and bow the knee to him. He did it all in order that he might bring you from where you are to where he came from. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this friend of sinners? We're going to sing 390 which speaks